Let us worship God. Gospel of Matthew, the 20th chapter, beginning with the first verse. In preparation to hear these words, let us pray. Holy One, we give you thanks for these ancient words and for the lives of those who have carried them down throughout the ages. We ask that you would open our hearts and minds this morning, that your fresh word might fall upon us this day. Amen. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them into his vineyard. When he went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and he said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. When he went out again about noon and about three o'clock, he did the same. And about five o'clock, he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, Why are you standing here idle all day? 
They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, call the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. When those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. Now when the first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, These last worked only an hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks be to God.
a reading from the book of Jonah. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God's mind was changed about the calamity that God said he would bring upon them. And God did not do it. But this was very displeasing to Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Holy One and said, O oh God, is not this what I said while I was still in my own country? That's why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and ready to relent from punishing. And now, O oh God, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Holy One said, Is it right for you to be angry? Then Jonah went out of the city and sat down east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade, waiting to see what would become of the city. God appointed a bush and made it come up over Jonah to give shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was very happy about the bush. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the bush so that it withered. When the sun rose, God prepared a sultry east wind, and the sun bared down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint and asked that he might die. He said, it's better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the bush? And he said, yes, angry enough to die. Then the Holy One said, you are concerned about the bush for which you did not labor and which you did not grow. It came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I be concerned about Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 people who do not know their right hand from their left and also many animals? Jenna and I decided to change the order of the readings in imitation of Jonah, who always liked to do things the wrong way. <laughs> Once upon a time, 
a young lady entered a strict monastery of nuns. The nuns took a vow of silence. The exception to the silence was that every 10 years, each sister could have two words with the mother superior. Well, 10 years went by, and this sister arrived at the mother superior's office for the 10-year conference. The mother superior, of course, was not limited to two words. She welcomed the young sister and praised her for her positive presence in the community, her faithfulness to silence and prayer. Now, sister, after these first 10 years, what are your two words? Bad food. Oh, thank you for your words. Of course, our penitence is all done out of love for our Lord and the works of creation. I look forward to our next conference. Well, another 10 years went by and Sister returned for her second conference. Mother Superior welcomed her, praising her exemplary presence in the community. Now, Sister, You've been in our community for 20 years of dedicated praise to the Lord. What are your next two words? Bad bed. Oh, sister, thank you for your words. Of course, our sleep comes through the peace of Christ, not the cozy comfort of our beds. Be well, good sister. I look forward to our next conference. Well, another 10 years went by, and sister returned for her third conference. Mother Superior was still in office. She welcomed the now veteran sister and thanked her for her perseverance and exemplary life for all those 30 years. Now, sister... What are your next two words? I'm leaving. <laughs> the mother superior compassionately responded, Well, thank God, honey. All you've done since you've been here is complain, complain, complain. Well, what do we have to complain about? How might voicing our complaints bring us closer to God? What happens if we don't voice our complaints? If we don't verbalize our complaints and get heard, the complaints shoot out and ooze out in other ways. What happens if we don't hear ourselves, don't feel heard in our complaints, and can't hear others' complaints? One of my life traumas is having witnessed my dad's self-defeating anger. He was a soft-hearted wounded 
person, full of complaints that came out only indirectly. He complained for years, oozing his complaints without moving, without healing, without setting down his burden. He was unable to put words on his complaints and at the same time he would get angry when we did not correctly guess what he wanted. Did he never feel heard? Did he never hear himself? Did he ever actually hear anyone else? What was he resisting? His hurts and traumas seemed to just keep growing inward. Jonah is a whiny butt who complains that he won't get to see his enemies become fireworks. At the end of the day, the workers in Matthew's vineyard complain about the generosity of the owner of the vineyard. It turns out, it just turns out, that God loves every creature, even our enemies and the many animals of Nineveh. At the end of the day, our expectations will be broken by God's generosity. It's good to directly voice our complaints and can help us understand and be understood. Growing in understanding, though, takes openness and courage. We will get asked some challenging questions. God asks Jonah, Do you do well to be angry? We need to discern the source of our anger. How do we use our anger? As an energy for good or as an energy for destruction? The vineyard owner asks the workers, do you begrudge my generosity? Does someone else's gain mean that we have lost? Do we think it's not enough that we succeed, others must fail? Reading Jonah again this time around, I have been particularly hit by how ironic and funny the book is. We just listened to the second half. I'll review some of the first half. 
Jonah's name means dove, a symbol of peace and reconciliation and the sign of restoration after the great flood. But Jonah is a cowardly, nationalistic war hawk. Jonah's father's name is Amitai, which means faithful, truthful, stable, sure. Jonah is an unstable mess. He wants to die because a little vine giving him shade died. He wants to die because God was merciful upon Jonah's enemy. God calls Jonah to go east to Nineveh, the great capital of the great enemy of his people. He decides to go to Tarshish, likely a place on the west coast of Spain, as far west as was possible at that time, feigning that he could get away from God's presence. The Lord causes a great storm that threatens Jonah's escape ship. The crew all pray to their respective gods. Where was Jonah? Asleep in the hold of the ship. The crew cast lots to discern who is the reason for this bad luck. The lots point to Jonah. The crew questioned Jonah about who he is and what he has done to put them all in such a bad situation. Jonah proclaims, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. What? Fear of the Lord here would mean living in astonishment and reverence of God. But Jonah is out at sea trying to flee from the God of the sea and the God of the dry land. In Jewish practice, Jonah is read on Yom Kippur, which starts this evening. I learned from a Jewish friend of mine that they do a Jonah skit every year in the synagogue on Yom Kippur. In the time of the temple on Yom Kippur, the high priest would cast lots to find out the fates of two chosen goats. Which one would be burned as a sacrifice and which one would become the scapegoat? to be cast out into the desert to carry away the sin of the people. The high priest would enter the Holy of Holies to face God and ask forgiveness for the people. Jonah runs away from facing God, and in the storm he asks to be thrown overboard and almost becomes the sacrificed goat and the scapegoat. The crew members all convert 
recognize the providence of God becoming believers. And then God sends the great fish to rescue Jonah from his death wish and keep him from becoming the scapegoat and the sacrificial goat. In the belly of the great fish, Jonah sings a psalm of lament, praying for deliverance, but no repentance comes out of his mouth or his heart. The fish delivers Jonah back where God wants him. He reluctantly goes to Nineveh. He half-heartedly goes one-third of the way into the great city and delivered one line. Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Jonah, the reluctant and whiny prophet, becomes God's instrument in the conversion of the sailors who needed to throw him overboard for the good of the ship. And now the king of Nineveh, who never even meets Jonah, calls the whole realm to repentance. Even the animals are to be in sackcloth and ashes, crying out for God's mercy. Yom Kippur celebrates the day Moses faced God and interceded for the forgiveness of the people after the sin of the golden calf, after they had gone the wrong way. Jonah is a book for Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Through the reticence and bungling of Jonah, we are humorously called to review our lives. Let us be encouraged and redirected by God's response to our complaints. Our complaints are a vulnerable spot where God's mercy can break through to help us change perspective, name what we are missing or resisting, and help us find a pathway in place of an obstacle. Jonah is a parody of a prophet. He is an ironic cause of humor and conversion. God uses Jonah's wrong-headed ways to still further God's ultimate purpose. Jonah never repents, but everyone around him does. Jonah is the curmudgeonly prophet who whines his opposition to God's mercy. Well, let us use our two words, or more, and speak our complaints to the Lord. I pray that my dad's silencing shame and oozing anger are healed now in God's embrace. This is a season of harvest and cleansing our inner house. 
even when we choose, like Jonah, to be wrong way prophets, the big fish will find a way to bring us back around. Can we love Jonah as he is and let his resistance be a mirror of our resistance? In the end, this book isn't about Jonah, the Ninevites, the sailors, or even the big fish. The book is about God's wrong way people and God's ability to change and draw us back around with the big fish of mercy and kindness.
As we continue now with the prayer chants, you are invited in the silence of your hearts to offer your prayers of intercession and supplication, those prayers for the world, for those you love, and for yourself to be given to God.
Holy One, you have fed us in silence, in word, in song, and in community. And for that, we give you our thanks and our praise. Amen. This is a season of harvest. Let us go forth and clean our inner house and be drawn back to love. And may the grace of God who created you in love the peace of Christ who teaches it is possible to be love, and the power of the Spirit who calls you ever forward into new experiences of love be and abide with you this day, this week, and evermore. Amen.